United Nations, as we know it, is a non-state geopolitical actor. It is one of the most recognizable non-governmental organizations, or NGOs, that look into creating peace around the world. Because it is an actor of the international system, it has its own geopolitical codes. However, I'd like to delve into how it impacts the codes between other actors. First, I'd like to make sure that one premise of what I'm mentioning is firm. The UN is a non-state actor in geopolitics with its own codes. Though Colin Flint doesn't mention the United Nations in his chapter on geopolitical codes in his book Introduction to Geopolitics, he clearly states that non-states can be actors such as NATO and ISIS. Additionally, we can see that this NGO adapts every geopolitical code. Its allies include the 193 member states of the organization, regional organizations such as the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, social movements, and other international organizations. Its enemies, on the other hand, include terrorist organizations, governments, and people that don't adhere and respect human rights, and other actors that are part of worldwide issues. I'd argue that as part of geopolitical codes 3 and 4, the United Nations' aim for cooperation between nations as a way to nurture its alliances entails aiding other actors in achieving their own development of alliances. This is portrayed in the relations between Argentina and the United Kingdom. In a Security Council meeting on how the United Nations should cooperate, the former president of Argentina, Cristina Fernández, expressed the need for the General Assembly Resolution 2065 on the Malvinas to be used for conversations to be held by both countries. From this, we may understand that comedy meetings inside the United Nations make diplomacy a possible method for countries, whether it is to nurture alliances or to counter threats. Therefore, the UN is also a tool for mediation for the generation of relations in the international system. Nonetheless, what happens when the resolution of such issues, which, as mentioned beforehand, can create alliances or make space for countering enemies, is limited by the abusive power of countries that look into the UN as a way for the world to follow its own agenda. With this, I'm referring to the veto power. As many may know, the United States, China, Russia, France, and the United Kingdom, or the permanent members of the Security Council, are able to make a complete resolution fail in the voting procedure by simply voting against it. So, if any one of these countries finds that the resolution goes against their national interests, even if all other members of the committee are in favor of it, the resolution can just not pass. This almost happened in the Security Council meeting in Afghanistan uh, on how the Taliban took the government. In the resolution urging for a safe passage to Afghans, Russia and China abstained to vote. Cristina Fernandez mentioned in the Security Council that these kinds of procedures don't respond to current realities. She explained that during the Cold War, this veto was a safeguard, but that it should no longer be used. What we may understand from the impact the United Nations has on global relations, yet the veto power that permanent members possess is that even in an organization that promotes justice, there is a power imbalance that still advantages the elite few. Moreover, this shows that these diplomatic relations that are developing in the UN, especially in the Security Council, are still being monitored, controlled, and limited by the countries that can choose what passes 
and what doesn't. So next time you see that a resolution passed in the Security Council, I invite you to think, how is this resolution strengthening the geopolitical codes of different countries, or to be more precise, of the five permanent members of the United Nations? Thank you.